0: Whether you have a skin interest, a skin query, a skin trauma, or skin disease, I warmly welcome you to Heal Thy Skin, a podcast brought to you by Derm health Co I'm Marnie, dermal clinician, dermoscopist, and your podcast host. Skin is deeper than beauty, and our mission is to build the largest platform of specialized practitioners focused on skin health and skin empowerment. Join me each week where we go deep into the skin and beyond to hear stories and education from leading practitioners on a journey of skin health. Have you heard of lipoedema? Lipoedema is a disorder that is characterized by enlargement symmetrically of either the legs, arms, and sometimes even trunk due to deposits of adipose tissue or fat beneath the skin. It's a relatively common condition and it occurs almost exclusively in women. It affects approximately 11% of the population. But despite these statistics, it's not even considered a disorder or disease in Australia. Welcome to episode number 25 of the Heal Thy Skin podcast. I'm Marnie, your host. And today I am speaking with Dr. Naveen Somia, President of the Australasian Society of Aesthetic Plastic Surgeons. Dr. Somia is a published author of several scientific papers in plastic surgery, and he was awarded a PhD for his three year research into eyelid reamination using implantable microelectrodes and the study of eyelid movements not something we're covering today but how fascinating perhaps we'll have him on for another episode he is one of the few australian plastic surgeons that provides treatment and management strategies for patients with lipoedema and he practices from sydney australia with frequent national and international travel to take an active interest in the teaching training and mentoring of australia's future plastic surgeons as well, of course, as keeping abreast of new advances in science and technology. His role as the president of the Australasian Society of Plastic Surgery focuses on patient safety and best practice. Dr. Somia shares how his journey into plastic surgery inspired a special interest into lipoedema and the importance of providing individualized care. I started by asking Dr. Somia what he thought was the biggest misconception about lipoedema.
1: Marnie, the biggest misconception of lipoedema is that people think it is fat. I'm not talking about lay people. I'm talking about medical doctors too. As they say, assumption is the mother of all stuff-ups. Once you assume it is fat, which is incorrect, then every single advice you give to a patient is no longer based on evidence. And as a result, people think it will go away if you just diet and exercise. And that's the advice that a lot of these patients have been given for their entire life. What people really don't know is that lipoedema is a genetic disorder of fat. Mm -hmm. In other words, this is something that you inherit from your parents or your grandparents or your family in the same manner as you inherit your color of your eyes, the color of your hair or your color of your skin. You can actually get it from both sides of your family, mother's side as well as father's side, but it always involves women. And the statistics are that between 10 to 15 percent of women uh, have a lipoedema tendency and some have very mild form of it, whereas some other people have a very severe form of it. And it unfortunately affects all racial subgroups and it's not isolated to one single racial group.
0: Wow, that's really interesting. So the listeners have a bit of an understanding about where you're coming from. Can you tell us a little bit more about your career and your background?
1: Thank you, Mania. I'm a specialist plastic surgeon, and I've been practicing in Sydney as a specialist for the last 12 years. Now, in Sydney, I work at some of the public hospitals. I work at Prince of Wales and Sydney Children's Hospital in Randwick, and plus a few other private hospitals where I have my private practice. Now, I I originally grew up in India, where I did my medical schooling and undergraduate, and after which I did my specialist plastic surgeon training in Melbourne, Sydney, and the United States. I've also completed a PhD for research into eyelid reanimation using implantable electrodes. Uh, this wow. was done in the US, and I'm currently a senior lecturer at the University of Sydney, where I teach uh, medical students.
0: Wow, incredible. So, so diverse as well. Thank you. So are you able to tell us a little bit more about the condition? You mentioned before that it is a genetic condition, but you also mentioned that people can have different levels of lipoedema. So does this come back to the actual genetics of it?
1: That is correct. So if we look at the disease called lipoedema, it is a genetic disorder. In other words, it is hereditary. It comes in your families. It is exclusively in women. It is an abnormal storage disorder of fat in other words if you have the gene for lipodema your body will start to store fat abnormally and there's usually a strong family history some people can identify their family history some from the mum's side some from the dad's side sometimes it skips a generation sometimes they'll find their grandparents and uh, grandmother and her sisters had it but none of the mums had it they sometimes find that their sister does not have it. So there's a different um, level of penetration in each family, depending on the gene. And what we find is if you have the gene, it doesn't mean that you're born with this condition. You have a tendency. And the first onset is usually noticed when you hit puberty. And there is obviously some link between the hormonal surges that occur at puberty. And this is when somebody who is fit, healthy well and normally shaped suddenly starts to put on uh, weight mainly around the hips and your thighs and they become very conscious of that as you would do and the advice at that stage because it dovetails very well into a time when you tend to be eating unhealthy and tend to be exercising less the common advice given to that particular person by friends family and medical personnel is to get off the lollies and go on the bike and go to, go to the gym and do some exercise. So that's mm-hmm. how it starts. And then that continues. What also happens is in a few years after that, when people fall pregnant, uh, there's another second hormonal surge in your body. And that also tends to make your symptoms worse and dial up your lipoedema fat deposition. And the third most significant one that we see is the premenopause slash menopausal hormonal surges that influence lipoedema deposition. So if you look at the three main triggers, majority of the people get it in puberty. What I've found is about 80% of people have a response to the hormonal surges in pregnancy. But pretty much 100% get it during menopause and perimenopausal surges. And the typical distribution, th- this is what it is. It is you're a size extra small waist and above and a size extra large waist and below. Mm. So when you try and put on jeans, this is a typical lipoedema patient. This is what I've gathered from talking to all my patients. When you try and try on a pair of jeans that, and you get the biggest size to fit your thighs, you will find that your waist is too loose because of the disproportionate amount of fat that has been distributed. And what is important is to understand it is symmetrical. In other words, if you have the right thigh deposit of fat, you will have the left thigh identical. If you have the legs, you will have the left leg as well. And it abruptly stops at the ankle. In other words, what people refer to as cankles, there's a cuff around the ankles there is no anatomical structure at the level of the ankle to say that has to stop, but the lipodema distribution starts from your hip, thighs, goes all the way to your ankle and your feet are spared. There's like a small cuff around your ankle. And it is painful to touch. So if example, if your young mom and your three-year-old child runs towards you and knocks your leg as a part of that exercise, and that is quite painful. And people complain about bruising despite having no history of trauma, spontaneous bruising. And what they find find frustratingly is no matter what they do with regards to diet and exercise, they cannot shed the fat off. And I've got patients who've had uh, surgical gastric sleeve and gastric banding where they have lost fat from everywhere else, but the lipidema fat hasn't changed. So this fat is a unique type of fat. It is not like our normal fat that you c- increase the calorie intake, you will put on fat cells. If you decrease the calorie intake and increase the burn, you will lose fat. This one is not responsive. It is in a way like the production has started and it is constant, ongoing for your entire life. And three episodes in your life, it dials up puberty, pregnancy
0: and menopause. How interesting. And what are some risks of lipoedema not being managed
1: There's not much of evidence of any coexisting metabolic problems like you know, the risk Mm -hmm. of cholesterol and high fat and heart attacks and stuff directly attributed to lipodema at this point. Ongoing research may show things differently. But what usually happens is because say for example a typical patient has lipodema of the thighs and the legs and over time your thighs and their legs become heavier. They're probably maybe four or five, six kilos heavier. And to give you the best analogy, it is like if you strap around two litre milk cartons around your ankles and ask you to walk, it's a question of how efficient you're going to be. You can only be walking for such a short amount of time before you become tired. So your calorie expenditure on a normal daily basis becomes significantly restricted because your legs are heavy, your legs are painful, and every activity becomes quite uncomfortable. Not to mention the heaviness of the thighs and impacting on your knee joint and your hip joint and your lower back. So there's a whole degree of primary issues and a whole degree of secondary issues, the long-standing lipodema you have that restricts your mobility. And as a result, people tend to be less active than what they could be. And that triggers off a, you know, putting on your normal weight. So mm-hmm. if you are active, we all know that if the more active you are, you tend to burn your calories and keep your weight off. But if you become inactive or sedentary or less active, the tendency to put on more weight is there. So what happens is that ultimately ends up The long-standing lipoedema patients usually have a small amount of excess weight that they do put on and that can may cause some health issues indirectly. And hence, that's what I say, lipoedema does not, we don't know of any direct effects, but there's always a secondary change due to other issues.
0: Yes, how interesting. And Dr. Samia, what are some of the current treatment options for those with lipoedema?
1: Can I ask, add to my previous question before I go to the next one? Of course. Because, Because when you actually... The history of a patient where I just mentioned, if you ask them the right questions, the mm-hmm. diagnosis is pretty much evident when they talk about the history because they say, hey, yep, my puberty came on, pregnancy, menopause, perimenopause, my thighs, my ankles, it's bruising, it's painful to touch. Mm-hmm. But when you actually look at that particular patient, so in other words, if you strip down to your clothes, undies and bra and have a look at the lipodema patient in the mirror, you would see that they, there is a disproportional distribution of fat the thighs, the legs are involved. In 30% of the patients, the arms are involved. And we mm-hmm. also see a condition where you have significant amount of fat in your upper buttock, lower back, that tends to cause significant lower back pain. Mm-hmm. And when you look at the ankles, you have abrupt transition of the ankles. Now, these there are about five to six types of distribution of fat in lipoedema patients, and that is governed by your gene. So the person who has a gene in the family that has just thighs only will have all members of a family having thighs only. The people who have thighs, legs, and arms will have thighs, legs, and arms.
0: Interesting.
1: Okay. So you can see that this pattern of distribution of fat in that family, which is governed by one gene, is identical. And there are legs only. There are people I've treated who have significant fat deposition only in the legs, legs being the part of your, between your knee and your mm-hmm. ankle nowhere else Mm. your thighs are normal your upper buttock is normal your hands are normal but just that area and the commonest complaint i have from patients like that is they cannot get into a a pair of boots because Mm. the legs are so big and but that's unique and not everyone has that degree of swelling in the legs and some people who have the legs and thighs may have a smaller proportion of leg swelling but not as proportionate as people who just have the legs only. The skin quality, this is important, the skin quality is always affected. So if you look at the, uh, typically I tell patients is, if you look at the skin of your tummy, which is around your belly button, and that's lipodema rarely involves that, can occur, but occasionally. If you look at the skin, the quality of the skin of your tummy compared to the quality of the skin of your thigh is different. It's quite evident when you see that. And when you actually feel, the temperature of the skin of the tummy and the thigh. The temperature of the tummy feels warm, and the f- one on the thigh feels cold. Mm. That is always. And what we call a cellulite, which is kind of the a lumpy, nodular feel that we see, is very much so part of lipoedema.
0: Yes. Okay? Well, how interesting. I never thought of there just being different gene variances. Yeah. I think that's also marketed that it would just be a different severity, more advanced perhaps yeah. stage. So that makes a lot of sense.
1: Yeah, that's what I've seen from the hundreds of patients I've treated is uh, you look at the look at the family type and they say, yep, I had my mom's sister had the same thing as me or my grandmother's sister had the same thing as me or something similar. And I've actually, I've treated a family who's the four generations in the family and all of them Mm -hmm. have the identical gene and the pattern of distribution is quite identical. And the pattern is not replicated in other people both in terms of the uh, distribution and the severity you know if you have the same distribution the severity will be governed by your family gene so to speak
0: yeah absolutely makes sense Mm.
1: and a lot of these patients have evidence of bruising or spider veins or varicose veins or dilated veins uh in the legs as well and that probably is one of the reasons why it's a higher risk of bruising
0: i see so coming back to some of the treatments, treatments what are the yeah most common Treatment options for those with lipoedema?
1: Okay, the best way to look at lipoedema treatment is you want to look at a core treatment and supported treatments, right? Now, the core treatment is something that we say it is technically called decongestive therapy, which is basically trying to get your fluid from the legs to move and circulate. So, on a daily basis, every day, five liters of fluid gets pushed down to your legs, that then you have to rely on your lymphatics to pump the fluid back. And that is the reason why if you go on a long-haul flight, your legs become swollen. Because when you're not moving, you're quite static, the fluid doesn't move around. Very similar to a slow-moving traffic right? Mm -hmm. So the aim is to keep that circulation going. And that is what is called as decongestive therapy. And the ways you do it is uh, walking is one of the best ones to do. Combine that with compression garment. Now, if you look at your skin of your lipoedema, your skin does not have the normal elasticity of skin of non-lipoedema patients. So the ability of your skin to provide a certain level of compression to keep the fluid going up is limited. And as a result, you have to use a second skin in terms of a compression garment, which is from your waist down to your ankle to keep that core support so that the fluid keeps circulating. In addition to that, you can do things like a manual lymphatic drainage by a qualified therapist. You can do lymphatic massage. And uh, there are a couple of mechanical devices where you wrap a sleeve around your entire leg, press a button, and that will mechanically milk you. And that's not a bad thing to do at the end of the day when you've had uh, a day at work where you stand most of the time. Okay, that's, so that, that's kind of the core and that is there for life. So what you do is you start having a routine built into that and then you start it before the surgical intervention and then you have to continue it after the surgical intervention because as you get older, things get worse. So if you keep that decongestive therapy going, then you have a good chance of uh, success with your surgery as well and you have an ability to keep it under control and function better. Now, the two other supportive treatments as as I said, this is an option extra because these are invasive treatments you're talking about. Uh, one is the um, treatment to target the lipodema fat. And the other treatment is to target your normal fat that you would put on as a part of your natural process. Right now, the lipodema fat. There's only one way to treat it: it is to extract it with liposuction. Okay, and the preferred method of liposuction is something called water-assisted liposuction, which is a much more gentler method of extracting the fat. Gentle keyword here because you want to take out the fat without damaging the lymphatic structures in mm-hmm. other words it's also nicknamed as a limp sparing liposuction or lymph friendly liposuction and is there evidence for that? The answer is yes. There's a paper written by German uh, surgeons to show that when they extracted the li- lipoedema fat from a patients and they analysed the uh, extract that came out for lymphatic cells and found it was almost negligible, implying that there's not much of damage to the lymphatic uh, tissue and the lymphatic cells as a part of the liposuction process. Because 25 years ago, or 30 years ago, liposuction for lipoedema was frowned upon because of the the significant risk of converting a patient who has lipoedema to lymphedema yes. due to damaging the lymphatics as a part of the liposuction, implying that liposuction was quite traumatic. Now, this is an important advancement of technology to introduce water-assisted liposuction. It's a German technology and people, surgeons, doctors in Germany have a better understanding of lipoedema. And a lot of the surgeons in Germany have been treating lipoedema for more than 20 years. And to the point that there are people from all over the world who fly to Germany to have liposuction done by surgeons in Germany just because they have a better understanding. And an acceptance of this as a disease and not just fat. So uh, it is uh, the English speaking world is slowly coming to terms with this condition as a disease whereas the german-speaking countries like germany austria switzerland and uh, netherlands to a lot of uh, a lot of degree has as had this as an official diagnosis so if a patient with lipoedema ends up with one of the doctors in the area they'll say okay fine yep this is lipodema. this is what you need this is the treatment options here the doctors to go to so on and so forth and their insurance company tends to help and support them as well Okay, so whereas in the English-speaking countries like, you know, the US, the Canada, UK, Ireland, Australia, New Zealand, and the Commonwealth, no, it is not even a medical diagnosis. In fact, Medicare does not even have that listed as a medical diagnosis. Wow. Okay. Okay. So yeah. that, is, that is what it is, right? So mm-hmm. when you look at water-assisted liposuction as a German technology that was introduced and all the German surgeons, plastic surgeons whom I know, have adopted water-assisted liposuction to treat uh, lipoedema patients in Germany. The other treatment option is to look at how to control your normal fat because you can use there are three methods of way you can control your normal fat, depending on the degree of severity and your response to one of the treatments. So at the very basic, diet and exercise is a must, right? Uh, and choosing your diet for lipidema patients is basically to avoid things that are processed food, packaged food preservatives that tend to inflame and make it quite painful. And some patients do not like meat, some people do not like gluten, some people do not tolerate dairy right? So not tolerate the point of having symptoms, they actually have pain in the Mm. legs when they eat these foods that don't agree with them. Not everyone has the same response, but uh, between the hundreds of patients that I've treated, I've seen patients who just cannot tolerate gluten, just cannot tolerate dairy or uh, meat. So they tend to eat very clean, In other words, preservative-free food, mostly organic, and thereby control the symptoms to some degree. And a calorie restriction is also an option for people to control the weight. When you talk about weight, you talk about controlling a normal fat because we all know that lipoedema fat does not respond to calorie restriction, right? The next step up in the management is what is called as medical management of fat, because if people have coexisting medical problems like normal obesity, diabetes, and other things, then I think a specialist endocrinologist or somebody who has a special interest in medical management of fat should be consulted, because now there are a lot of medications that can be uh, used to uh, air control appetite, manage a calorie burnout, and also tweak your hormones to make sure that your fat burning is optimized. And then going past that, if you come to a stage where it is quite significant fat that you can't really get down with diet, exercise, or medical management, then you look at surgical management of fat, as in surgical weight loss options, such as The most common one is uh, gastric stapling or stomach uh, bypass, one of the two things that uh, bariatric surgeons do. And that invariably results in significant weight loss of normal weight, which then your lipoedema weight doesn't respond to those. And then subsequently it makes extraction of the lipoedema fat a lot more user-friendly. And because you are significantly lighter, your anesthetic risk is significantly lower.
0: I see. So it's really a multifaceted approach and it's, that, that, and management as opposed that, to cure. Yes. Yeah.
1: And also the most important thing to understand what I tell patients is, look, this is a progressive disease on its own. And without any intervention, you will go from what uh, Lipedema is classified in stage one, two, three and four with varying degrees of severity. You start off at 25 or you know, 20 with stage one and gradually progress as with age and you hit stage four when you become in a, a significantly disabled. So any intervention is to avoid getting to a state of significant disability that makes your quality of life very bad.
0: Yes absolutely makes sense and also assuming in terms of the way that it progresses it's also going to have an effect on the lymphatics so then there's greater risk of developing lymphedema and then you have lipolymphedema and then that's that whole management strategy probably becomes more advanced.
1: That's correct so in simple terms and if you I like to go back to the analogy of the slow moving traffic now if you keep the slow moving traffic uh, moving and clear the roadblock that has created the slow moving traffic, then you can, over the course of four or five hours, you can restore the traffic flow back to normal, right? Mm -hmm. But if you ignore that and let it just pile up, then you will have a lot harder time to get rid of that permanent traffic standstill. And occasionally you hear stories about standstill of you know, traffic jam for five, six, seven, eight days in massively densely populated uh, cities where there's a traffic jam that wasn't cleared up and so on and so forth. So it's a bit like that. And the other thing is also the longer you have your legs filled with fluid and a very inefficient fluid drainage system, the tendency for the legs to scar and the lymphatics to scar is quite high. And once that happens, no matter what you do as a treatment, you will not be able to restore any flow back into the lymphatics. So the longer you leave it, I feel that you end up precipitating a condition where instead of becoming reversible, it becomes irreversible. And Mm. then no matter what you do, it doesn't really make a difference.
0: And just switching gears a little bit, our listeners love to hear about mm-hmm. our stories. Do you have a particular case study or career moment where you got fantastic results for your, one of your patients like a standout Matt, that reminded you of why you do what you do?
1: Look, all my lipedema patients, unique, they're special in their own way and each patient is a winner. Right, I cannot single out any one as a standalone, but I can certainly say that the um, first few, because when we are trying to treat patients with lipedema, it was a very kind of In a challenging moment because we go in with good intentions and we are hoping for the best and we're actually very happy when things turn out that way so you know when you have somebody who's 32 who's got two two young kids and you take out 12 liters of fat from them and then that motivates them to just become more active and then when you subsequently see them you can suddenly see the changes in the normal weight because the legs are a lot less heavier now that is a big statement of empowerment.
0: Yes, of course. You know, and what is it about lipoedema that interests you so much?
1: Look, I never thought that if you asked this question to me 12 years ago, saying that would you be treating lipoedema patients, I, I would ask you the question, what is lipoedema? And that's what happened to me when my first patient walked up and said, do you do liposuction? And I said, yes, I do liposuction. And she said, do you do liposuction for lipoedema? I said, like, I must confess my ignorance. I've never heard of lipoedema. Hmm. So that's how it started. And mm-hmm. I said, how come I don't know about lipoedema? And then I started to, and uh, she was very nice. And she said, oh, I can send you some papers. And I said, please do. And she sent me the papers. And what I found was all the papers were written by surgeons from Germany. And I said, oh, this is a bit odd. Why is all these medical conditions coming from one geolocation? And that's what made me do some more research. And I found what I've just shared with you earlier on, that a lot of surgeons in Germany have this understanding of lipedema And then I went and visited two of them to understand how they manage lipoedema and found that the incidence was a lot more than we thought it was. And one of the surgeons whom I visited in Germany has a map of the world where he uh, has stuck the stickers from all the countries that patients have come to him for treatment. And there are over 60 countries where people have traveled to Germany. And this is a small town in Germany and where people have come to him for uh, treatment for liposuction. Okay. And so that's, that's kind of how I started. And the Positive benefits are like, look, it's very hard as a patient to go from doctor to doctor and be told there's nothing wrong with you. It's all in your head. Eat less, exercise more. And as I said, if you ever survey the diet and exercise regime of all the lipoedema patients, I mean, they are doing one of the best forms of clean eating that you can never think of. They're very, very particular about what they eat because they do have symptoms if they eat uh, unhealthy and badly, right? So they eat very well. They watch the calories. They do exercise. They do everything, but they do not see the changes of the lipoedema fat going down. So I treat them because I can make a difference. The difference is after the surgery, the pain improves, okay? That is the consistent yeah. positive message that makes me keep treating patients it consistently improves the pain and the pain is not just the pain in the fat and the thighs and the legs due to the fat it is also the pain that is secondary in the hips and the knees and the lower back right and this is as instant as within the first two days of surgery you can say oh my god i don't have the back pain anymore mm. my knees don't hurt that badly my hip is much better you know those, it's it's those things and suddenly it tells you like look there's more to this than just it the appearance of fat and if you look at the pre-operative photographs of the knees and the post-operative photographs of the knees you can see the knees are badly aligned before the operation but when you start taking down in know, six, eight, nine litres of fat from the thighs, the knees tend to be aligned much better. So if a badly aligned knee is allowed to continue the way it is, it's only a matter of time before there's wear and tear of the knee resulting in that total knee replacement. Of course. And arthritis, yeah. right? So that's very stark and very visible uh, after the liposuction. It's a bit like saying that you're trying to walk around with a big pillow between your thighs. And once the liposuction is done, you have that freedom.
0: Yes, absolutely it makes sense. So managing expectations as something that all practitioners, therapists and clinicians have struggled with at one point in time. How yeah. do you manage this with your lipoedema patients?
1: Look, lipedema patients are very well informed about uh, uh, about the condition they have because there is Lipedema Australia which is a support group run by volunteers who are all patients themselves. It's and they usually have private Facebook pages where they talk, disc- the condition, discuss the condition, and also some of the patients in Australia are members of uh, international epidemia groups. So they have a very clear understanding of what the disease process is, what the progression is, what are the expectations, what is going to happen in a time-bound fashion, what is the intervention that is reasonable, what is the expectation. So uh, in, in a lot of ways, they come to me extremely well-researched. Mm -hmm. And very, very, very practical about what to expect and what, so that the endpoints are very clearly defined. And the essential expectation is that the symptoms are better. The desirable expectation is that the legs look better, right? But the legs will never look better because the aesthetic or the cosmetic outcome depends on the quality of the skin. And the skin is also compromised in lipoedema because the lymphatics that are present in the skin are abnormal as well. Mm. So as a result, your skin doesn't come to the party. But in clothing, you will look better.
0: Yes. yep. And what do you think will change in the future of lipoedema treatments? Uh, Are there any kind of mm -hmm. cutting-edge treatments that you're seeing overseas that we're not seeing yet here?
1: No, we're not seeing anything that cutting-edge because the lipoedema community is reasonably small. There's a lot of crosstalk between... um, experts at multiple levels, and this information is freely shared. So there's nothing that we are doing that is different to what is done elsewhere. What we find is some of the support that the patients get, not in terms of the treatment, but in terms of the support like you know the insurance company and the physiotherapy and the access to the public hospital systems and stuff, that is lacking here. Right, mm-hmm. whereas in the Netherlands and Europe, and uh, to, in some cases in the NHS in the UK, they can get access, they can access this support uh, through the public hospitals, which makes, makes a big deal for uh, your ongoing treatment and uh, um, management of this condition. So, the biggest things that I think will happen is the gene based, they will isolate the gene at some time that will encode uh, lipoedema. And, uh, you know, as with everything else, over the next few years, we'll expect to see an isolation of the gene, and then the multiple variations of the gene, and the will explain why people have this, and there'll be a bit more understanding of why this does not uh, go back. And we're hoping that based on that, there may be you know simpler non-surgical interventions that can actually prevent the progression of the condition. Whether and there are other methods of that are being researched to help with the early diagnosis there's a MRI technique that is nicknamed as a salt MRI which basically looks at the level of the amount of sodium in the fat and that you can see on MRI scan and think that will help to identify lipidema early on with an MRI scan right now you cannot distinguish between uh, lipedema fat and normal fat in an MRI okay. so these are things that are slowly coming so it'll, it things will become streamlined and there are multiple inter advances being done at multiple levels, both at the stage of diagnosis, at the stage of the gene identification, and obviously surgical therapy still remains uh, water-assisted liposuction as the gold standard. I don't envisage anything major happening in the surgical field in the next uh, 10 years, but um, I could be proven wrong.
0: Yes. And you mentioned that decongestive therapy is uh one of the major ways to help to manage the condition. I know for lymphedema, this can be covered and is performed by OTs, physios, dermal clinicians. Is it actually covered for lipoedema patients or is it still something that they will have to pay for as a private patient?
1: Yeah, that that's the crux of the matter, isn't it? It's yeah. not covered because it's not even a diagnosis.
0: Yes. Okay.
1: Okay. Unless you have a component of lymphedema coexisting with uh, lipedema, we don't uh, fit into the uh, classification and uh, sorry into the uh, diagnosis. And as a result, uh, all interventions don't have um, any kind of support just because they don't have. A, it's not even a diagnosis. It's an invisible syndrome.
0: Yes, of course. Hopefully that will change because I can imagine decongestive therapy over time can create quite a financial burden.
1: It does. Look, I think it's, uh, I think if, if the Medicare and other agencies um, recognise this as a medical condition worthy of treatment uh, with a view to preventing significant comorbidities that will develop over the lifetime of the patient, then it'll be one of the biggest help for patients.
0: Yes. So this next question is actually from our community and you have mentioned some of these already, but are there some lifestyle or dietary considerations that you recommend for those with lipoedema? Perhaps someone that is early on their lipoedema journey and they're not sure which foods or which types of lifestyle considerations are really impacting them.
1: There's nothing prescriptive Mm. So it, it is so unique that what benefits you may not benefit your next door neighbor. So, but I think in principle, you want to look into a calorie controlled diet, but more importantly, look at the food groups that trigger off your symptoms and make the inflammation. So there's a, multiple sp- uh, diets that have been proposed. There's a keto diet, obviously all of us know, about keto diet, which is a calorie restricted diet. There's also a anti-inflammatory diet called RAD, RAD diet, which has been uh, popularized by Karen Herbs, who's an endocrinologist in the US who treats a lot of lipoedema patients. And that, that is one. But in essence, in what I've discovered from talking to all my patients is getting rid of the subgroups that cause symptoms. Like some people can't take meat. Some people can't take anything that is not organic. Some people don't like uh, gluten. Some people don't like dairy. But in simple terms, I think dairy, gluten and meat are the three most uh, important things to avoid and see if it, what uh, benefits you. The other thing is all kinds of processed food, like all the chemicals in the processed foods and anything that is processed is definitely uh, going to be inflammatory for you, okay? Activity-wise, you need to have user-friendly activities that, you know, like you can't expect someone who's 25 to, you know, have three therapy sessions a week because that'll be quite exhaustive. But if you take on exercises that keep you active, And in this case, I think there's a role for yoga and to be incorporated into mainstream treatment to keep your lymphatic flow. And I don't have this as not many people know about the benefit of yoga in lipoedema. And I have a a group of patients who, who have lipoedema and one of them who's 70 now, she is still a stage one because she's been a very avid practitioner of yoga for the last 30 years or so, right? So when I saw that, I said, "Okay, fine, there is something happening here that there's a link between yoga and progression of life. Mm.
0: And
1: when I did more research, I found that in the International Journal of Yoga, there have been plenty of studies to show that, uh, you know, there's a condition called lymphatic filariasis in the world, which is where your lymphatics get destroyed by a mosquito-borne parasite. And the disease burden in the world is about 25 to 30 million people. So, and these people have unilateral, in other words, one-sided leg becoming massively big. It's called elephantiasis as well, mainly around the tropics. And these patients, they 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 tried a trial of doing decongestive therapy for them because when you do, when you have 25 million people worldwide, you can't offer highly specialized, personal-driven, personnel-driven treatment. So these patients went through a system of yoga, this set form of exercises, twice a day, 45 minutes, twice a day for five months. And some of the photographs in that journal, this is a scientific journal, were remarkable in terms of the ability of yoga to get the swelling down to almost near normal. And that was incredible just to see that. And so I'm beginning to think that there's some benefit of regular and constant practice of yoga, which has some positive changes in the lymphatic flow system, which influences, indirectly influences your fat deposition.
0: Okay. And how fantastic that this is now being published in journal articles, yeah. an ancient practice.
1: Yeah. And it's a very simple thing. I mean, if you do an hour of yoga a day or twice a day or whatever, I mean, you, health benefits will be quite significant. And I think the benefits of yoga, this is my interpretation of all the data points that I'm seeing, is that yoga have, for some reason, has a very positive effect on lymphatic flow. And I suspect that there is a certain amount of lymphatic death with age in everybody. Yes. But if you are a yoga practitioner you may well prevent that from happening because that may stimulate new lymphatic channels to form. This could well be a theory, but I'm looking at the multiple data points at varying areas, and I'm just joining the dots and saying, okay, fine, there must be something happening here that is beneficial. And that is the reason that when you look at people who are very avid practitioners of yoga, they don't have a huge amount of fat on them.
0: Yes. Just out of interest, is there any direct links between the lymphatic system and adipose tissue? Because we know that someone that is experiencing lipoedema may also experience some form of lymphedema or lymph dysfunction. Is there a direct link besides the actual mechanical action of it? So, you know, more adipose tissue than compressing on the lymphatic system, for example?
1: Yeah, but there is a direct link. So, for example, in people who do not have lipoedema, who have normal obesity, so if you become obese by methods that lifestyle-related issues, there's been science, scientific papers to suggest that obesity fat as opposed to lipoedema fat has a negative influence on the lymphatics, mm. okay? So if you look at a triangle, at the top of the triangle you have lymphatic flow, and in the left-hand corner you have lipoedema fat, In the right-hand corner, you have normal fat. Patients who have more of normal fat over time will develop some degree of lymphedema due to sluggishness of the lymphatics that has been induced by your normal fat-secreted chemicals that connect with your lymphatics. Now, if you have that scenario happening in a lipodema patient, in other words, a lipodema patient who also has a certain degree of obesity... Then it already it makes the lymphatics that are sluggish even more sluggish, and it sets up a vicious cycle.
0: Interesting. So it's not just that mechanical. There's also chemical secretions that affect it. So I think
1: it's important to look at the triangle and say you need to have a strategy to break one, two, three, so that that vicious cycle doesn't get set up.
0: Yes. And Dr. Samia, for someone that may be listening and they are thinking, I've got some of these symptoms. Where should they go? Because as you mentioned, it's not something that is covered or even really known about in Medicare. What would their first steps be? Because... Look, yeah. Yeah. yeah, look,
1: it's, it's a very good question. And I think the, the first step, I usually direct patients to websites like that owned by Lipodema Australia. This is the volunteer not-for-profit group set up by patients. And it's lipedemaaustralia.com.au that gives you a very good summary of the condition. And you know, if you have the condition yourself you can then join their uh, private facebook page uh, group if it's it's allowed if it's still on and that gives you a very objective patient driven data yes the other place i would recommend is a american website called Lipedema foundation americans spell Lipedema differently so it's l-i-p-e-d-e-m-a dot org and if you go there you'll It's an exhaustive website with a lot of information, including what is current, what is coming, and what research they're funding and proposing that might change the landscape. And these are the two places that I would recommend people start. The third place that you can look up is look up Karen Herbst. Uh, Herbst is H-E-R-B-S-T, Karen K-A-R-E-N. She's an endocrinologist in Phoenix, Arizona in the U.S. And she's been researching lipoedema or fat, abnormal fat disorders for all of, all of her career. So her website has a wealth of knowledge as well. So I think these are the three places that I would recommend any patient who thinks they may have some unanswered questions to go and do their own research, take their own time, because you know something that you get, what you get out of these three websites is objective, patient-driven data that is not a sales pitch.
0: Yes. Thank you. And I'll make sure that we put those in the show notes as well. So anyone that's listening can access those links, but where can people find more about you and the work that you're doing?
1: My website, I'm based in Sydney. So my uh, website is probably the user-friendly way of contacting uh, me and my office, au. It's a very simple, it's my Mm name.com.au.
0: Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for being a guest on today's show. Really informative.
1: Thank you, Mani. Thank you for taking your time and having me on your show. I thoroughly enjoyed talking about this.
0: It's a pleasure. Wow, what an interview. Dr. Somia shared with us a comprehensive review on lipoedema and gave some real and practical advice on lifestyle factors, and also information about the available support groups the three deeper than skin insights that stood out to me were number one how fascinating that not only is lipoedema genetic but it's also believed that there are specific genes that determine the type of lipoedema that is experienced i think that's just incredible and i'm so looking forward to seeing the uh, new research that's coming out on that number two As an avid lover of the lymphatic system, it was an absolute delight to hear Dr. Somia speak about the intricacies and the complex relationship between the lymphatic system and the adipose tissue. And also in regards to the management strategies, I was literally jumping for joy inside uh, and Dr. Somia and the information that he was sharing with us was simply music to my ears. Number three, it really is so amazing that despite lipoedema being covered and recognized in non-English speaking countries, it's not even listed as a disease or a condition here in Australia. And we are so, so lucky to have practitioners such as Dr. Somia advocating for these patients and providing support and treatment options. And I hope with increased awareness of podcasts like this and the work that Dr. Somia is doing, there will be more opportunities uh, and more available support and options and funding for those that are experiencing lipoedema. I would absolutely love to hear what your three deeper than skin insights were for this podcast episode. So send them through to us in an email info at dermhealth.co or take a photo or a screenshot of you listening to this podcast and write the three deepest thin skin insights that you found. And be sure to tag us on social media. We always reshare and we always love to hear what your insights were, what your takeaway points were. So be sure to tag us and I'll see you again next week. If you know someone experiencing a skin condition or concern and you're enjoying these episodes, then be sure to share the podcast with them. It may help them on their skin health journey more than you realize.